right. Oh, hello, Melissa. Hello, Kyle. Man, we're at the end of May. It's been a busy month. It's a been very a busy, busy month for you in particular. <laughs> uh, we're yeah. pretty excited in this episode because we teased this in our last episode, but we're going to talk about National Golf Day today. Are you so excited? I am so excited. <laughs> she really is, you guys. I can tell. She's definitely not making that up. Um so we're just going to dive right into this conversation on National Golf Day. Uh, for those of you who don't know, annually, National Golf Day is a day that brings industry professionals together to Capitol Hill uh, to share the industry's contributions and to advocate for legislative and regulatory issues that impact the golf industry. Uh, National Golf Day serves as the pinnacle advocacy event of the year for the American Golf Industry Coalition, which was formerly known as We Are Golf. So if you hear us refer to that, just think in your brain, oh, that's We Are Golf. You'll get there. The coalition celebrated its 14th annual event on Wednesday, May 11th. And for the second year in a row, this event was done virtually, which is cool. And we're actually going to get into talking about that a little bit later. Um, but this virtual opportunity means that the event actually hit a really exciting milestone. We had more than 200 participants conducting more than 250 virtual meetings with members of Congress and their staff, and every state in the U.S. was represented for the first time in National Golf Day history. Woohoo! Woo I take pride in this being from Alaska and where we don't really have clubs. There are golf courses in Alaska, so like that's not that surprising because people like the novelty of going and playing all summer long in the middle of the night when it's sunny, but I think that's very awesome that we had all 50 states represented. It's pretty awesome. Um, we actually had volunteer advocates from CMAA's advocacy committee, our chapter legislative chairman, and other interested members who joined the professionals from across the golf industry. That's GCSAA, NGCOA, the architects, the builders, the PGA. Um, to educate Congress and their staffs on critical issues. We focused on three major areas, workforce and labor, the environment, and health and wellness. Um, we're not going to spend time today diving into each one of the three issues that were moderated on, but we do encourage you to head to the legislative report if you want to get into the issues and learn a little bit more about those three issues. Um, <clears throat> we got the opportunity to talk to one of our advocates today, who has a very unique yes. uh, location and perspective, kind of a bird's eye view of the nation's capital. And Almost she literally. participated with us for National Golf Day and, ha and, her, and shares about her unique connection. Uh, Gina Zach, she's a member of the Advocacy Committee, and she is the Director of Membership and Marketing at the Capitol Hill Club just catty corner to the house office buildings in Washington, D.C. She's also an avid golfer, so it's really exciting to talk to her about her experience and about her thoughts on advocacy for the industry. Awesome. Well, Gina, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's let's start with a nice softball question. Tell us a little about yourself. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm the Director of Membership and Marketing at the Capitol Hill Club in Washington, D.C., where I just celebrated my 10-year anniversary. I also recently accepted the opportunity to oversee the housekeeping department, which is a nice little throwback to my hotel years prior to the private club industry. I was born and raised in New Jersey, just outside New York City, but I've been in D.C. long enough to lose my accent. <laughs> I'm a... <laughs> 
I'm a passionate traveler and I really love maximizing experiences of like efficiency and fun, you know, like I'm the stopover person, you know, like, oh, 36 hours in Lisbon. Yeah, let's do it. You know, <laughs> um, I spent a lot of time in Poland where my parents are from and I'm actually in the process of establishing dual citizenship, which I'm really excited about. Wow. That's cool. very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. During the pandemic, though, I sold my 1890s, like, renovated row house here in the city, and I bought a new home in the country, 66 miles away, in Rappahannock County, near the Shenandoah, like, National Park, and in the Piedmont Valley, surrounded by, like, a lot of fresh air, farms, and a dozen wineries under 20 minutes away. So I spend my weekends there as much as I can. Uh, that's dreamy, and please do not be um, <laughs> alarmed if Melissa and I just show up one day, because it no. sounds lovely. <laughs> I encourage it. It's so fun. I'm I'm just a half a mile from the Inn at Little Washington. So I let people know that. Be like, oh, if you're doing that like lifetime visit to the Inn, I'm like, let me know. Oh, very so. cool. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So Gina, tell us a little bit about the Capitol Hill Club. Yeah, the Capitol Hill Club is the National Republican Club of Capitol Hill. We were founded 72 years ago by 100 members of Congress. Uh, we were across the street from the Cannon House office buildings in our third location. And so at first we were found in like in a nice row house. And the second location was actually in the Congressional Hotel where the Democratic Club was located as well, which is kind of fun. Uh, both no longer stand. Uh, so 50 years ago, we moved into our five-story building at 300 First Street, just steps from the Capitol Complex. We have two restaurants and 14 private dining rooms. Uh, we're a 501c7, and our membership is just under 4,000, which is compromised of members of Congress, the staffers, other GOP association executive leaders, as well as lobbyists. Um, and about 25% of our membership live outside the area. So we really try to provide, you know, home away from home, like a good city club um, strives to do. Our club does not require you to be a Republican which I love telling people, we're non-discrimination. <laughs> we offer uh, dining and event experiences for our members, and we have some great established partnerships like reciprocity with over 300 clubs, a local hotel referral, even a discount code for individual tickets for our World Series winning Washington Nationals. Go Nats. We're Go a 10-minute walk in the ballpark. Yeah. 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 Very, that is awesome. Well, cool. Gina, I was I was thrilled to to get to to sit in some visits with you uh, for National Golf Day two weeks ago, um, and to hear a little bit more about you. And it was through that that um, you know it's I think it's always exciting for us when we talk to um, members who are at you know city clubs and and not really the 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 non traditional kind of clubs. And certainly this connection with National Golf Day is super cool. So, you know. One of the things that came up in our discussions as we were meeting with our Virginia representatives was that you serve as the vice president of the Women's Congressional Golf Association and never heard of this before. And so definitely got onto my uh, to the radar. Can you tell us more about that organization? Oh, yeah, I love the WCGA. We're a nonpartisan member organization that fosters fellowship and promotes golf opportunities for women. Um, our membership is both uh, current and former staffers. This includes nonprofit specialists, lobbyists, other government affairs professionals. So uh, our season is usually March through November, and we organize golf clinics, local course outings, weekend getaways, happy hours, and even international travel. Uh, networking is an 
obvious and valuable part of our membership, which is only $30 annually. And um, we have over 100 members already for this season, which is great. And Gina, how long have you been golfing? So I, um, I signed up to learn how to golf through the WCGA in 2017. I took a beginner's class. And then I took another one. <laughs> I took a few other clinics and an <laughs> etiquette class. <laughs> and it's 20 in like late 2018. I signed up for our July 2019 Scotland trip. Well, <laughs> and I mean, obviously. Point, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm going to do it. Do it always. So at this point, my golf mentor, Erin Hook, uh, she's a lobbyist. She had a very important conversation with me. She's like, you cannot not play 18 holes until Scotland. <laughs> so all I did was practice for two years. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's, That's amazing. All I, did. I never went out and played. I just went to the range and I took the clinic, you know? So, so yeah. So we started meeting at Burke Lake course, which is an 18 hole par three uh, to get me golf ready. So in hindsight, it is pretty ridiculous, but at the time I wanted to be sure, you know, I could hold my own as a beginner golfer. And, you know, Scotland ended up being a blast. And I have, like, lifelong memories of that trip. And following that, I got even more involved with the organization and planned getaways to the Green Briar, uh, happy hours and more. And I love getting away, like, at 4 p.m. to drive to, like, East Potomac Golf, which is just 10 minutes from the hill where I can hit a bucket of balls, break up a long working day, and then head back to the office if I need to. So um, I've also been getting away to Myrtle Beach over the last two years for long weekends. Um, with members and even one of my sisters joined us. And so golf has really become my new favorite pastime for me in the last few years. That is, yeah, that's stellar. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, I love, you mentioned, you mentioned Burke Lake, which is, you know, I say 10 minutes from my house, but not even 10 minutes from mm -hmm. my house. So I'm very familiar. Um, so, you know, as we, as we met over the last, uh, when we met two weeks ago for National Golf Day, you know, we, we definitely had a virtual experience, which was certainly unique for you because you're sitting basically on the hill doing the virtual experience <laughs> with these members. Um, can you share a little bit about what your experience was like participating? Yeah, it was actually National Golf Day was like a wonderful change up for me because uh, participating in meetings with congressional offices, you know, as I was in the Virginia delegation, you know, and um, part of the group were other golf management leaders and country clubs and golf associations. So this is, this is new for me because in my day job, I'm greeting members of Congress and their staff and their guests to the clubhouse from a service level. So it was really fun to be a part of this important process. And it's my first year volunteering for the advocacy committee under um, the leadership of uh, our chairman, Mitchell Platt. Uh, and Mitchell is a GM across town, the Cosmos Club. So I, I really love that opportunity and to be educated on the, the industry issues, to engage, participate, and help, you know, kind of uh, lead conversations about our club community. Uh, I just was really excited and curious about it. So this is a great opportunity. Um, during the actual conversation, so we had appointments like we would make with, with the congressional offices. So a lot of the golf um, peers talked about the environmental realities which, um, you know, with a country club, is completely different than a city club. But with, like, best management practices on the greens and professionally managed landscapes, uh, as well as labor challenges with um, the insufficient supply of the H-2B visas for seasonal employees. Again, this is new territory for me because we don't have that with our club. 
Uh, so it was really exciting to hear about it and to engage, um, hear the, the staff being engaged in these conversations. Um, I personally was really happy to speak about my own journey with golf in regards to the personal health investment today, which is the FIT Act, S844 and HR 3109. So the FIT Act is about getting people moving and outside more and, and promoting like healthy lifestyles by um, allowing the pre-tax dollars and HSAs and FSAs and other medical accounts to pay for activities like golf. And I know for me personally, physical activity is preventative medicine, you know, like breaking up the day, getting fresh air, like that's an important part of like keeping balance when I work really long hours um, sometimes. So five hours like on the green for me keeps my blood pressure normal and gives me a break from work. And I love golf. I love promoting for the WCGA as a board member. And um, there's a really fun way to work with the American Golf Industry Coalition and CMAA for uh, advocacy and um, to serve on the advocacy committee. So that was, that was my whole experience, really just positive all around and educational. I think that's the best part about um, National Golf Day and just the opportunity to get to, to sit in those meetings with, you know, these different um, offices and the staffers and stuff, but to get to talk about issues that are close to you, whether it's personally or professionally. Um, and then also, like you said, to get to learn about some of these areas that we advocate on in our industry that may not touch you in your day-to-day -day work life, but now you feel maybe more empowered because you know more about just like the broader industry in general and like how all of what the work that Congress is doing and how it's affecting our day-to-day more broadly, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Really fun and, and educational and, and just uh, neat all around. So, Melissa and I Gina, like we to freak out about this stuff. So, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was gonna say, Gina, and, and I know as we move forward, you know, we'll we'll return to that in person experience. What would you say to to other CMA members about? Um, the importance of getting involved with this kind of event. You know, we, we hit a high watermark this year with the virtual and we're able to, to have representatives of the industry from all 50 states. Um, but we'll hopefully return in person next year. And what would you tell other members about participating in this activity? Yeah, congratulations for that. To hit all 50 states is really impressive. And um, in terms of the advocacy committee and participating in another National Golf Day, I would encourage uh, any member uh, because there's no uh, negative opportunity in establishing a relationship with your with our elected officials, you know. So if we're meeting with a staff assistant, if we're meeting with like a legislative coordinator, or if you get to meet with the chief of staff or even the member of Congress. So um, yeah, that's that's going to go on record. They're going to know you talk to them about that, and they're going to know that that's uh, what you're supporting or you're asking for their support. And that's really how our, our governance works, you know, on the congressional side. So it's, they represent the people. And so, and we become part of that population, but we can also represent, you know, our interests and in good business for the club industry. That's perfect. I was going to say, <laughs> that, that, 
Can we save this soundbite and use it? I was going to say. <laughs> you can put quotes under it. Yeah, you can you totally know. use whatever you want. I was a political science major, by the way. So. Uh, this makes much more sense now. <laughs> yes, I know. She's so engaged and like articulate about these topics. I love this. I see. I get it. I wrote a yeah. script. Yeah. I did write a script. So I did want to be prepared. So no, I will tell you we, that. You're one we of our people. That. We understand. Yep. Yeah, as a poli sci major here, love it, love it. Well, we can't, awesome. can't thank you enough for joining us and giving your perspective. I think you really helped bring the entire event to life and also share a little bit more about uh, your experience on the Hill. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me today. All right. Well, I love getting to talk to Gina. I thought her perspective was super interesting. I love that she was such an engaged member of the advocacy committee. I think it's really neat to see our members kind of get into the nitty gritty and start to understand um, the broader effects of some of this legislation on clubs, especially coming from somebody who works at a city club who doesn't have a golf course. And to kind of get to see how all of these issues play out across the wider industry it was really neat. So I really appreciate Gina's perspective um, and her work with the Women's Congressional Golf Association. I didn't even know that was a thing until you mentioned it, Melissa. And now I think it's like the coolest thing ever. So very, very neat. Um, do you have some more fun facts about golf that you can share with our listeners? I do. I know I think it's really cool for those of us working in the golf industry to know these facts. Um, and, and to be able to share them and to understand kind of how the golf industry fits into business uh, across the U.S. So <clears throat> you may not know, but golf is actually an $84 billion industry, and that is 2 million U.S. jobs, and that's nearly $60 billion in annual wage income. That's pretty impressive. It, it was estimated that one in 10 jobs is connected to the golf industry. It's pretty interesting. I'm sorry, one out of 75. I'm, get, I'm making up numbers now. It's Approximately okay. Approximately one out of 75 jobs <laughs> in the U.S. are impacted by the golf industry. Um, and the World Golf Foundation and their 2016 U.S. Golf Economy Report is our source for this information. Um, so across the country, there are 16,000 golf courses um, at about 14,000 facilities. So obviously some facilities have more than one course. Mm -hmm. And that this is really interesting. The U.S. actually makes up 42% of the global golf course supply. 42%. That's wild. <laughs> it's I guess it's not all that surprising, but it's very impressive. <laughs> and this number is not surprising to me, uh, but the golf industry itself brings in approximately $4 billion annually for charity. It's estimated that upward of 80% of U.S. golf facilities host at least one charitable golf outing each year. I feel like that number is woefully low. I, um, certainly from the number of uh, submissions we get for good news about our industry and the press releases that I see, there's definitely a lot more than uh, one charitable golf outing each year. Oh, absolutely. For sure. That that seems underreported. Um, the other thing that is good to point out on the environmental side. Um, and certainly we've talked with our friends at GCSA about their best management practices initiative, and that's in all 50 states. And it's really important to know that golf's future really relies on ensuring that our industry's environmental, economic, and social sustainability. Um, you know, the industry, and, and certainly led by GCSA and that project, uh, are really preparing for that innovation in the future, um, focusing on how to use water and labor 
wisely as they become less available and more expensive and really embracing renewable energies and other technologies to become you know as they become more prevalent and readily available so yeah that's really interesting to me and it's something that i've actually been interested in since i you know started at cma and started learning more about golf because to be frank before i started here i really didn't know anything about golf and i thought it was boring so um, I'm fascinated by the dedication that so many in the golf industry have to issues like sustainability and just the environment more broadly because, I mean, it is a sport that takes place outside that does use up a lot of land um, and to keep those courses looking beautiful and running smoothly, you know, certain things have to be done, but there are ways to do that that are not negatively impactful on the wider environment and the communities in which these courses are placed. And um, so the dedication that these professionals have to ensuring that is really um, encouraging to me to, to know that, you know, like we want to keep enjoying this sport. And so in order to do that, we have to make sure that the spaces in which we're doing it are healthy and sustainable. And that's really cool. And I love that. I think the word that really pops out for me there is professionals. You know, mm -hmm. our our industry, you know, like CMAA, who has certified club managers, um, you know, GCSA certifies their professionals um, in these best practices, and they're really leading the way on this in, in all 50 states. So, um, you know, it's really important to remember that, you know, these golf courses contribute to healthy ecosystems. Yes, they do. Um, much like those park green spaces that, you know, um, on, on on average, 26% of the land used for golf courses is naturalized areas. So it's not that manicure, green, perfect, you know, cut yeah. that you, you might assume when you, you watch national championships. So, <laughs> you know, there's a, I, I think it just helps. And, you know, I, Kyle, you're a great example. You know, I think it's, it's just the more we can share what the industry is doing, um, and, you know, kind of having these in your pocket for those conversations with people who might not understand why you've chosen this industry as mm -hmm. a career path. Um, it helps to share that, you know, this is a this is a vibrant um, and respectful community and, uh, you know, and really a good partner for so many things. Absolutely. It, it This kind of work, this advocacy can go a long way, um, not just in making the game of golf and, you know, better for more people, but also, you know, to kind of break down some of these long-held stereotypes and ideas, I think, that maybe broader society has about golf and, like, what it looks like and who plays it um, and who can access it. Um, and while many of these things may still be true to some extent, you know, talking about the philanthropic impact of the game of golf and the environmental impact of the game of golf and the health impact of the game of golf is hugely uh, beneficial, I think, again, to breaking down those stereotypes and, and showing that, you know, golf, golf can be for everyone and it should be for everyone. Um, so I'm always so proud when we get our, our folks on the Hill and get them in, into those meetings, talking with their congressional representatives and, and advocating for this industry that brings a lot to so many people. So yay, National Golf Day. <laughs> we did it. It's, I say we, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> it's done. You can yeah, breathe a sigh of <sighs> an amazing opportunity. So, you know, and and, and uh, we hope to get even more advocates involved in person next year when it returns to its in-person format. We are looking forward to that. It's certainly a wild experience. If you've never gotten the opportunity to come have a meeting on the Hill, um, you're missing out, man. Absolutely. It's cool, it's cool to see the government at work. 
-hmm. Absolutely. All right. What other important announcements do we need to share with our listeners before we sign off for the month of May? Sure. So I think the most important thing I have left to share is to give a huge happy birthday shout out to Miss Kyle Jennings. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Kyle's celebrating her birthday later this week. Oh, my gosh. And um, we just want to say that she's the bestest hostess of the (laughs) Let's Call Management (laughs) podcast. And uh, so please uh, join me in giving her a happy birthday shout out. Thanks. Thank you. That's very nice. I have no plans for my birthday. <laughs> Sometimes it's going to be a that long weekend. Nice. And frankly, nice. I don't think I need plans because I intend to take a very long weekend and just like not do right. things. That sounds Absolutely. great to me. So That's thank nice. you, Melissa, for that lovely birthday wish. Um, Everyone, check the calendars. We have a lot of events coming up in the fall. If you're interested in joining us for anything, um, we've got all of those events on the calendar that went out in Outlook last week. Um, Lots of BMIs, those are filling up. So if you need to get on a wait list, get on wait list now. Um, But we have several summits coming up as well and uh, more things in the works. So stay tuned. And we know that this is like kicking off the the busy season for many of you in your clubs. And this weekend will be a grind. for sure for some of you. So um, we wish you all the best as your seasons open and uh, things get rolling. But that wraps us up for the month of May. (laughs) I can't believe it. Where is this year going? Absolutely. And, you know, touching back to the end, uh, being that it's the end of May and the end of Mental Health um, Awareness Month, uh, to make sure to schedule time for yourself to rest, relax, and recuperate with all the, the craziness that's to come for end season. So we'll talk more about that next month. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Melissa Lowe. She's Kyle Jennings. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Let's Talk Club Management podcast is a podcast of the Club Management Association of America. Since 1927, CMAA has been the largest professional association for managers of membership clubs throughout the U.S. and internationally. The objectives of the association are to promote relationships between club management professionals and other similar professions, to encourage the education and advancement of members, and to provide the resources needed for efficient and successful club operations. Under the covenants of professionalism, education, leadership, and community, CMAA continues to extend its reach as the leader in the club management practice. CMAA is headquartered in Alexandria, Virginia, with more than 40 professional chapters and more than 40 student chapters and colonies. Please learn more at www.cmaa.org org.